0: remember and ask, please, for your special grace and kindness to be poured out on the many who have been impacted by, Lord, what has happened, uh, Lord, in Newton, Connecticut. And I would ask, Lord, that you would use this, God, to draw many near to you, that only you can provide the hope and encouragement and comfort that they need. Only you can reach into the human heart and give... Grace. I pray, Lord, you would please do that. Use the the believers there in that community, the churches, to extend the love of Christ. Lord, we pray for uh, your Son to be lifted up high in the midst of such great tragedy. Pray, too, Lord, for this Christmas season and just that you would uh, reach those in our families, God, who don't know you, and that you would use us to be a testimony and an example to them, of who Jesus is and why He came. Thank You, Lord, for the work that You did in Honduras, and we pray for the churches there, especially the leaders, the pastors, those that are serving in the churches there too. Lord, You would just increase the fruit there, give them strength and wisdom, and may Your Word go forth. Pray too for that to happen now, as we look in Your Word in Ephesians, that it would go forth and Move in us, change us. Lord, you would instruct us by your spirit as to how we could apply and please your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, as we do approach Ephesians 5 uh, this morning, there was a a story I came across of a Canadian couple, uh, David Stalker and his wife Kelly, who set off quite a debate early last year when they chose to keep the gender of their baby a secret. Uh, they only let their midwives know and their two sons. Not even the grandparents knew the gender of their grandchild. Uh, David, the father, said, I'm not telling the gender of my precious baby. I'm saying to the world, please, can you just let Storm discover for him or herself what he or she wants to be? They were motivated by a book. Called X, a fabulous child story. I'm not recommending you go out and get it. It's a fictional story of an experiment that was done where parents kept the gender of their child hidden. And the author used the book to promote the notion that society should not enforce expectations on people based on their gender. That's a premise which David and Kathy agreed with. And in fact, they were already, David and Kathy were already raising their two sons. As gender neutral, they would let them choose what they wanted to wear and what they wanted to play with. In fact, their oldest son, who was five, uh, wanted to wear a pink dress because he liked the color and it felt comfortable on him. And so the parents uh, let him do that. David and Kathy said that parents who make choices for their children based on gender are obnoxious these two aren't the first parents to do that. There was a British couple about five years ago that did the same thing and just this year revealed the gender of their child. The mother said, I wanted to avoid all the stereotyping. Stereotypes seem fundamentally stupid. Why would you want to slot people in boxes? There have been some highly publicized transgender cases in the last couple of years. Chaz Bono, the daughter of Cher, who was surgically altered to be a man. Uh, Then there was the young man Jenna Ta- Ta- Talakova, a man who was surgically altered to be a woman and then petitioned to uh, compete in the Miss Universe contest, actually placing in the top 12, believe it or not. You know, we, we shouldn't be shocked by these things. They are simply examples of how our culture is aggressively moving towards uh, washing out what it means to be a man and woman. The rapid push towards same-sex marriages its another example of that. The role of husband, the role of wives in our country in particular, in our culture is moving towards gender neutrality. There's distinctions becoming blurred, responsibilities mixed. Even in the church, the, the traditional family where the husband is the leader and the provider and the wife stays home primarily to manage the, the household, that scenario is considered by many today just that, traditional. That it's not a biblical mandate or even a biblical model. So Paul, when he addresses marriage, he brings the issue of gender neutrality front and center. It's the first thing that he mentions when he goes into this topic in Ephesians 5. He says, "Wives, be subject to your husbands, for the husband is the head of the wife. Paul wastes no time in explaining that there is indeed an authority structure in the home, that there are indeed gender-based roles and responsibilities that God has designed. So let's look at the rest of what Paul has to say about marriage, in particular our roles within marriage, as we look at Ephesians 5.22. If you could please stand as we read God's Word. I'm going to read the whole section again because it all is interconnected and interrelated, though wives are focused on in the first three verses. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband." Let's pray again to the, to the Lord to bless His Word. Father, I do ask, God, that You would make clear Your truth as spoken here, that You would help us to see exactly how You've designed marriage and how You've designed a husband and a wife to function within that. And Lord, by Your Spirit, may You help us to apply it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Well, last week we identified six pillars of a God-honoring marriage. They were to remember the reason, to see your sin, to launch the log, to give grace, to be spirit-filled. And the last one, to relish your role. And that's where we're going to focus our attention on that last pillar the next few times that we're in Ephesians 5 here. We're going to see here that in Ephesians 5, the, the role of husband and the role of wife is really intertwined in the purpose and function of marriage. Paul weaves with, within all of those three issues what marriage is for, why God designed it, and the role and, and function and responsibility of a, of a man and a wife within that marriage relationship. Paul describes the role of the wife in verses 22 to 24, and the role of the husband primarily in verses 25 to 29. But today, in our culture, and even in the church, There seems to be a a path toward marching toward confusion, minimization, eliminating even the the roles of of man and wife within marriage. It seems though as we do that, as we minimize or change or, or eliminate those roles, that we will not only have problems in marriage, but our marriages will break. We will break because we've been designed a certain way. Just like imagine if you were to ask your uh, son or your, you know to go out and, and polish your car, and he goes into the, to the toolbox and grabs some sandpaper and starts polishing. He'd get the job done. The dirt would definitely be off the car, but it would not be the same, right? And your son may not be the same after your talk with him. Or imagine that you were to take the, the nice hair-cutting scissors that are in the, the drawer and use those to cut metal in the garage. Or if you decided not to use a hammer to knock in the nail, you didn't want to go bother going and finding one, so you just decided to use your knuckles. You know, in those instances, you might get the job done, but it wouldn't be pretty. And your tools wouldn't be the same either, especially your knuckles. That's something that Paul is trying to show us here in Ephesians 5, that God intends for marriage to be a certain thing. And if we go outside of that design, the marriage breaks and those involved in the marriage break. In fact, he intends marriage to be a reflection of Christ and his bride, right? And so he's fashioned men and women to, to mirror roles that are within the design, the roles of the relationship between Christ and his church. And these aren't interchangeable. Paul begins with the role of the wife as, as needing to be subject to her own husband. And so we're going to look at that responsibility this morning. We're going to see three aspects of biblical submission. The first is submission defined. The second is the reason for submission. And the third is the challenges to live it out. Let's look at submission's definition. And the question comes up, well, why did Paul address wives first? I mean, as I was looking at this series, I was thinking I would start with husbands. They are considered a leader in the authority in the home. It would make sense to start with them, right? But then look at the passage, and Paul doesn't do that. He first addresses wives. Now, is that because... uh, Uh, Paul felt that women were a bigger problem, that was a bigger issue to deal with, or is this just a ladies' first thing? It's like Paul's opening the door, so he's want to address women first. Or What's he doing there? I think it's simply this. It is the logical transition from what he just said in verse 21. Remember, that was the fifth result of being filled by the Spirit, that we'd be subject to one another. And then he naturally, as he moves towards this idea of relationships with the home, the priority being marriage, and that in that marriage relationship, where submission is being the most uh, lived out, is is from the wife to the husband, right? And so, again, if you look at verse 21 to 22, it says, "...being subject to one another in the fear of Christ, wives to your husbands as to the Lord." In fact, he doesn't even put the verb be subject in verse 22. It's just a natural transition and flow of thought that Paul has. So when considering mutual submission in the home, that was the natural place for Paul to start, is the relationship between the wife to her husband. And this call to be submissive to your husbands isn't the only place that it's given, right? First Peter 3.1, Peter says in the same way, "...you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word..." They may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Or in Titus 2.5, young women are to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so the word of God will not be dishonored. Or Colossians 3.18, wives be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And even here in Ephesians 5, Paul is emphasizing the point as he again repeats in verse 24 that wives ought to be subject to their husbands as, to the, as the church is to Christ. But it's clear our our culture isn't happy about this. Our culture doesn't embrace this idea of biblical roles or biblical submission within marriage, right? In fact, many see it as promoting ruthless subjugation or oppressive dominance or using others for selfless purposes, abuse, humiliation. And no doubt that has happened. Many see submission as, you know, if, if marriage is for companionship, if it's to cultivate a friendship between husband and wife, this idea of submission doesn't seem to fit that. To have one person that's under the authority of the other, shouldn't they be equal? Shouldn't they be equal authorities? Because submission just gives me this idea of a, you know, a pot-bellied husband sitting on the couch in a dirty t-shirt and jeans, demanding his wife get him a beer and clean up after him. Is that the picture of submission? Is that the idea that Paul is getting across here? I mean, obviously not. But there's been a push in our Christian culture for husbands and wives to be equal authorities in the home, for for them to have interchangeable roles and responsibilities depending on the circumstances. They say Christian wives are no longer, they no longer have to be subject to their husbands because as Galatians 3.28 says, there's neither male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. And so since Christians are equal before Christ, then uh, regardless of their gender, then so should be roles. They're equal in their roles. They go so far as to say that really a wife's submission, that whole thing came about as a result of the curse. They look at Genesis three sixteen, where God is speaking to Eve and he says, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth and pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. They take this passage to mean this, uh, as God was bringing consequences for the sin that they committed, that the woman was going to have pain in relation to her child and pain in relation to her husband. In fact, one commentator in looking at this verse said this, The ruler-subject relationship began after the fall. As a result of Satan's work, man was now master of woman, just as the mother ground was now master over man. For these reasons, it is proper to regard both male dominance and death as being antithetical to God's original intent in creation. Both are the result of sin. It's self-instigated by Satan. Their origin is satanic. Catch what he's saying there? That this role of a wife being submissive to her husband, one, he calls as male dominance, and two, he's saying that that role is something that came after the fall, after sin entered the world, and so it is really satanic in origin. If that's true, we got to rethink this whole thing. What does Paul mean then when he says, Wives, be subject to your husbands? If that's really a part of the curse, this submission idea, then what is going on? Is, is it really actually a result of the curse? Well, let's go back to Genesis again. And I want us to see in context what that passage is talking about and look at not only when God designed marriage, he also designed at that time and also showed the responsibilities within marriage. We're going to go back all the way to Genesis 1. And yes, we've looked at it before in looking at the purpose of marriage because it provides the foundation of it, but it also provides the foundation for our role and responsibility. Genesis 1, 26. Let's look at the familiar words that were spoken there. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So on that sixth day... Moses describes here what happened, that God, after creating the land animals, he then chose to create something unlike any other being or any other thing in his creation. He chose to create a human being. And that human being was to be created in his own image, in the image of God, the only created work in all the universe that is after the image of God. And God called that being man. And then we see that man was identified by two genders, right? Male and female. And notice that both are made in the image of God. Notice that both reflect God's character. And thus both share an inherent equality and in value and purpose. Do you catch that? Both male and female together are in the image of God. This equality that they share is also seen in the fact that together they were given responsibility to fill the earth And to rule it. Now, nothing is said, though, of how that's going to come about. What specific functions or responsibilities, if any, will both of these individuals have in carrying out that role that God has given them? That's because Genesis 1 here is a summary. Moses is simply summarizing what happened on the sixth day. He doesn't get into the details of how things rolled out until the next chapter. So go to chapter 2 to see what happened specifically on day 6. We'll start in verse 7. Where the text says, "Then the Lord God formed of the dust from the ground and breathed into it, formed man, excuse me, of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being." So here we see Adam is created first. Eve isn't yet on the scene. She doesn't come until verse 21. Now some say that God created man before woman because he needed to make a rough draft before the final masterpiece probably the case. <laughs> but in any event, we see Adam was first created and, and, and he was alone. Moses then describes the the garden that God had made and that he had put Adam in. Look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So again, God's saying, Adam created this garden and I want you to keep it, to serve it literally, to work in it, to cultivate it. I want you to do that as a means of honoring me and my creation. And notice here, work is given before the fall. And then God says to Adam, he gives him some, some constraints, some instruction. He says, Adam, you see all these trees freely eat, 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 mange, manji, you. fill yourself up on all these trees, except for that one the one in the middle of the garden don't eat from that tree again remember god is speaking to adam only here right eve is not yet here then in verse 18 then god said it is not good for the man to be alone i will make a helper suitable for him and out of the ground of out of the ground the lord god formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called the living creature that was its name And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The last time we looked at these verses, we talked about how they showed the uh, one key purpose in marriage, which is what? You remember? Starts with a C. Companionship. That's right. That God, one of the key reasons he designed marriage was for companionship. Moses, or Moses, uh, Adam was alone, and he brought Eve to Adam as a helper suitable for him, one like him, one corresponding to him. But notice this passage, and what we've read so far in Genesis 1 and 2, it's not only showing us the purpose for marriage, it also reveals the roles within marriage. In fact, Genesis 1 and 2 reveal in several ways the responsibility for the husband to lead and for the wife to come alongside and under that leadership. Back in Genesis one twenty six, both male and female were categorized as Man, not as woman. Also, too, Adam was created first, right, from the dust of the ground. And that's something Paul pointed to when he was talking about authority structures in the church and male leadership in the church. He looked at the created order. Eve was then created not from the ground, but from Adam. That's something 1 Corinthians eleven eight talks about and refers to as the reason why the husband is the authority in the home. Adam was the one given the instruction to work and which tree to not eat from. He was given the primary responsibility to obey God. Eve is described as Adam's helper, not the other way around. She was brought to come alongside him to do the work that God called him to do. Adam names the woman. That's an obvious indication of his authority. And later in Genesis 3.20, he actually gives her the name Eve or Hawa, which means uh, life or living in verse 24, it's interesting to note, Moses says the man shall leave his father and mother. But don't women leave their father and mother too when they come together in marriage? They better, right? But, but, so why does he focus on man here? Again, he's identifying that there's now a new authority structure, a new home, and its authority structure begins with the man. And these reasons and several others God, uh, shows that God made the husband the leader, even from day six. Even from the beginning. And the wife was created to support her husband. And again, this is before the fall. This is before chapter 3 in Genesis. Before any sin has entered the world. Male leadership is not a result of the curse. Actually, our roles are, are in the very fiber of how we were made and what we were designed to do. That, By definition, in our gender. God made us with uh, certain personality traits that are different between man and woman. Different um, emotions, different abilities, different strengths and weaknesses. And this has nothing to do with whether or not a woman is inferior, for she's not. The, you know, role, a role is never a measure of value, okay? A role is never a measure of value, only responsibility. Male and female are both in what? The image of God, right? Right? Another way we see the man was made to be an authority comes in the fact that after the fruit was eaten and God came to, to look for them in the garden, who did he call out to? He called for Adam. He said, Adam, where are you? Did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat? In Romans 5.12, it says that through Adam, sin entered the world. But I thought Eve was the one who first ate the fruit. She Adam was the one held responsible. In fact, he was standing there when it happened, and he did nothing about it. So this all tells us Genesis three sixteen isn't saying submission is from the curse. Rather, Genesis three sixteen is simply saying because sin has entered the world, now there's going to be struggle in marriage. Wives are going to struggle to submit to their husbands, and husbands are going to struggle to lead their wives in love. Genesis shows us the role for wives. To be subject to their husbands wasn't something invented by Paul or some New Testament concept. No, in fact, it was something God designed from the very beginning. That verb, be subject, simply means to voluntarily place yourself or arrange yourself under the authority of another. The command to wives in the New Testament is to voluntarily submit themselves to their husbands. And guys, listen to me. This isn't something that you demand. This isn't a verse that you tape upon your pillow your wife's pillow at night i've heard guys doing stuff like that you're not allowed to use this verse or others like it to hit your wife with like a bat if she's not going along with your decision this isn't something where you say Why woman you just got to submit that's what god says it's not it at all god is the one that is telling her to do that by her choice men there are biblical ways that you can encourage your wife to, to be in submission but We're going to talk about those later. Everyone, everyone look at verse 22. We're back in Ephesians 5 now. Verse 22. Paul says there that wives be subject to your own husbands. Ladies, there are only two men in your life that God has called you specifically to be subject to. Your fathers before you get married and your husbands after. Now there is a male authority in the church that we are all called to be submissive under. But that's in a collective sense. All the elders. So ladies, if there's a guy that comes up to you and says you have to do what he tells you because men are in authority over women, then you can kindly tell him this. Go fly a kite. That's biblical. 3 Timothy 3.4. Notice too that, that submission that Paul talks about here, as to your own husbands as to the Lord. We have to remember that the authority that, that husbands have in marriage is a delegated authority. They, didn't, uh, they don't have it because they're inherently superior. It's something that God has designed and it's something that He has delegated. And so you need to see your submission to your husband as submission to the Lord Jesus Christ who put that man in your life to be authority over you. But that also means if you are to uh, submit to him as to the Lord, that you are to obey him only and to the point, but you're not, you don't have to submit to him if he tells you to lie or to steal or to stop reading your Bible or don't go to church ever again or any other thing that would violate scripture. If he does, you can graciously and respectfully decline. And notice at the end of verse 24, you're called to submit to him in everything, in everything, just as the church is subject to Christ. And that word everything in Greek means exactly that. Everything, all things. Really? Really, Lord, everything. Yes, that's what he's saying. But my husband... Okay, I know that. We'll get to that in a minute. Just know that the role that God has given you doesn't mean that your husband is infallible. It doesn't mean that he's morally superior. It doesn't mean that you are inferior or incapable. In fact, you probably are more skilled and capable and intelligent than your husband doesn't mean that you cannot give input or that you cannot have a role in decisions that are made in the home. And men, if you're smart, you're going to involve your wife in decisions, especially the important ones. doesn't mean that your husband has a right to mistreat you or to be harsh or to demand your submission. In fact, if he physically asserts himself and there's a concern for your safety, you call the police and you get out of there. God knows these things. God knows you're married to a sinner. God knows you're married to a man who, who may be incapable in many ways. But God will also strengthen you to submit to that man if you're willing. 1 Peter 3, Peter talks about how cultivating a gentle and quiet and submissive heart. And then he says which is precious or of great value or of tremendous worth in the sight of God. Submission is that heartfelt placing yourself under the authority of your husband as to Christ in everything so long as he does not call you to sin. But why submission? Why submit? Why did God set it up that way? Why did he put that in his design? Why did he create women and men, distinct, two different genders? Was it that he created man and then realized, I've got to figure out a way to, to have kids come on the scene here. So I've I, I got to do something a little different. That's not it at all. You see, God had a design from the very beginning. we we'll see that here in verse 23, where Paul gives the reason for submission. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives are to be to their husbands in everything. That word for tells us the reason. And that reason finds its root back in the garden. Pun intended. But there's a, you don't, may not see explicitly Eden mentioned here, or Adam and Eve mentioned here. But if you go down to verse 31, Paul quotes from Genesis 2:24, which came right after that first wedding. And then Paul says in verse 32, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. And you see what Paul is doing here in these verses, in this section on marriage from 22 through 33, is he's showing us, he's, he's connecting everything together here. It's all intertwined. It's all laced and woven within one another. That he's telling us that when God made marriage in the garden, he had more than that human bond in view. As I said before, it wasn't that he made Adam and then realized, oh, I've got to make somebody so they can have children. And, well, he wasn't stuck there. He wasn't trying to figure things out. He knew it right beforehand. In eternity past, I want to make a human relationship that emulates the relationship my son will have with his people. And marriage was the the best design. That was the, the perfect illustration, the perfect parable or demonstration of the bond between Christ and his bride. We've been talking about this, and I want to emphasize the point that God intended marriage to be more than a man and woman living together in companionship and raising children and working the earth. He wanted marriage to be an experiential understanding of the union of Jesus with his people. He wanted you and I to see on a more fundamental level, a more intuitive level, that we would get a picture, a real picture, that we could experience and understand better of what it is to have a relationship between Jesus and His bride, us. And marriage is the best way, the only way that God designed for us to be able to understand the connection between Jesus and us. It was a, a man and a woman coming together as one. So marriage is to follow that model. That's why we have a man and a woman. There's an intent in God's design. There's purpose in God's design. He thought this thing out. And he knew that the best way to reflect and emulate Jesus and his bride would be to create a man and to create a woman. And then to give the man certain responsibilities and to design him that way and to give the woman certain responsibilities and to design her that way. The wife has been designed to submit to her husband because that is the picture of, of the church and submission to christ the man has been designed to be the authority in the home because that is the picture of jesus in authority over his bride and again as i said earlier god made men and women with gender specific personality tendencies strengths and weaknesses physical features because he's matching the role for which they've been designed again there's intent here god's thought this thing out It's a profound purpose that he's given in making you a man or a woman. You need to see this. Your your submission to your husband is so much more than, well, I'm just doing what the Bible's called me to do. Ladies, you have an opportunity that men don't have. You have an opportunity to show the world, to show your friends, to show your extended family, to show your husband, to show your children what Jesus expects and should receive from his beloved bride. In that sense, ladies, you, you're really leading us. You're really instructing us. You're really showing us what it means to humbly submit to Christ. It is as I look at a woman in submission to her husband, and I get a better idea of what I'm called to do with my Lord and Savior. And only, ladies, you can show me what that looks like on an experiential human level. God's designed you to do that. Have you thought about that in that way? You have an, an amazing calling. And yes, I know it's not an easy calling, especially because of the husband that he's given you. I understand that. And what's more important is Jesus knows that. He understands that. He, he's not telling you to do something that he hasn't done himself. You know, when we, we think about authority and, and leadership, we readily associate that with God. How about submission? You know, in Christ, we see a humble and submissive God. There is submission within the Trinity. Though being equally God, Jesus is in submission to the Father. Ephesians 1.3, the statement says, "...the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." Or Jesus said in John six thirty eight that I have not come for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, which we see Jesus live out in the garden when he asked the father to let this cup pass from him. And then he says, not my will, but your will be done. Or we can see that in first Corinthians fifteen twenty eight which describes the son's eternal submission to the father or Luke four one where it says the Holy Spirit led Jesus around. And didn't Jesus show humility towards us? Mark 10:45 The Son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Luke 2:51 says that Jesus continued in subjection to his parents. Think about that for a moment. The God of the universe submitting to his creation. The creator following the instruction and having to obey and choosing to obey what he created. Chew on that one for a minute. Brothers and sisters, we should never, ever see submission as weak or inferior, but as a beautiful quality displayed by our Savior. It matters to God. He cherishes submission. He understands it. He has lived it. God is all-powerful, almighty, and sovereign, and is to be obeyed. He's also humble. And he's also shown what submission looks like. And that exalts it. Sisters, your Savior has gone before you, submitting Himself to His Father, to His parents, submitting Himself to the rulers and authorities over Him, even the ones that delivered up His life. That He chose to stay in submission to them. So when you go to Jesus and you tell Him, This is hard. This is so difficult. Jesus says, I know. I understand. I get it. I sympathize with you. And as Hebrews 4:15 says that we can take these burdens to him who does empathize with us and he will readily give you mercy and help in time of need. That takes us to our third point today, submission's difficulties. Submission's difficulties because let's face it, we know the most difficult challenge for wives to submit to their husbands is what, ladies? You can say, "My husband He's the hardest reason for me. But in addition to him, there's a struggle with our own flesh. In addition to that, we have Satan in the world that is seeking to undermine authority. In fact, Satan hates authority. He will use any and all possible means to undermine that authority that God has established in our lives. And I think that's one of the reasons that he went after Eve in the garden. It's because he was attacking the very authority structure that God had created and his world system will do anything and everything it can to convince you that submission is demeaning, humiliating, unnecessary, even unbiblical. Because no one in the world is going to stand up and applaud when you seek to submit to your husband. In fact, they will jeer and mock. Nobel Prize winners Alva and Gunnar Myrdal from Sweden said this, It is still possible for a week stupid, lazy, unambitious, and otherwise lesser-equipped individuals to remain and make their way within domestic work, both as housewives and as servants. As for the rest, prostitution is always available. Wow. Satan will pull no punches, ladies. Satan will do everything he can to make you feel inferior, embarrassed, inadequate, and sometimes you may hear this kind of attitude even in the church. Don't listen to him. Don't do that. But you know, your investment in your home is a high and dignified calling. Proverbs fourteen one says, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish one tears it down with her own hands. I like what Betsy Ricucci, Ricucci said of that passage. As a wife, mother, and homemaker, I can often reach the end of a day and think... Now, what have I accomplished today that was really worthwhile? No brain surgeries, no deals closed, no conferences, no multi-million dollar profits. Well, I did scrub the floors and made chicken cacciatore, my husband's favorite, read to the children and babysat for my neighbor. But here is the biblical answer to that question, the question of what I did that was worthwhile. Because today's activities have furthered the building of my home, this has been a day in which, by God's grace, I have displayed true wisdom. You know what? Don't listen to the world. Whenever the world seeks to demean or to minimize your role, just just don't listen. Direct your thoughts to what God thinks of submission. Direct your thoughts to the example that God and Christ has shown us of submission. Remind yourself that God's ways are always better. They're always right. And who are you going to trust more? Who are you going to trust more? The one Who created you and loves you? Or the one who hates you and wants to destroy you? And not only do Satan and the world make submission difficult, there's also our own flesh to deal with, right? It's hard to take orders. It is hard to submit yourself to somebody else. And we're all under authority, right? We can all identify with this. All of us have authority in government and, uh, and at work, church leaders, parents, God structured his world like this. He has structured his world to have authority. And it's hard to do what we're told. That's why Jesus said in Luke nine twenty three that if any were to be his disciple, you must deny yourselves, take up your cross daily and follow him. So we need to remember Christ's example of humility and treating others as we would want to be treated, as more important than ourselves, to give preference to others in honor. And we need to to do this by being under the Spirit's control. Remember, that's the foundation to this whole application section on marriage. That we're to be filled by the Spirit, back in verse 18. Because the less time you spend with the Lord, the less time you spend with His people, the less time that you spend in prayer, the less you will be filled by His Spirit. And the harder it will be to battle those selfish desires. That's why the... Galatians 5.16 is such a key truth. And you hear it many, many times from me. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. But it's so easy to to let our thoughts and our feelings wander into territory that they shouldn't be in. That's why being around God's Word and in it and being around and with God's people is so important so that you're hearing God's voice and not your own. Because submission is a challenge. It is hard. Satan and the world make it hard. Your flesh makes it hard. Thirdly, your husband makes it hard. And guys, I want to talk to you for a minute. I want you to think about something for a second here. We all have authorities in our lives, right? Guys, right? You should have authority in your life. Some authority, whether boss, definitely government, church leaders, you have authorities in your life. And sometimes those authorities are hard to follow. Sometimes those authorities are not very good authorities. Sometimes those authorities are bad. Now think about this. It's not always easy to submit to that authority, right? Imagine this. Imagine if you had to live with them. Let it sink in, guys. Imagine that you were under that authority 24-7. That's what your wives are facing. They have to live with the authority in their life. Does that change the perspective a little bit? So you need to have some empathy and understanding. And ladies, I know that being subject to your husbands may be very hard. You may feel that, you know, my husband is not a good leader or he doesn't show me any attention. He doesn't seem to care. My husband is not very kind when he gives direction. In fact, he's harsh and unloving, even at times verbally abusive to me. When I followed his direction in the past, you know, that didn't work out too well. My husband doesn't lead me spiritually spiritually. He isn't even a Christian, or, or at least not a mature one. And then someone comes along and gives you this passage from First Peter 3. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And you hear that, think about your circumstances, and that, that can be hard to swallow. In fact, let's look at First Peter 3 for a minute. I want us to see a couple of things here. You know, is Peter saying that, you know, I have to submit to my husband even if he's a jerk? If he's unloving or unkind or if he's not fair or he's not following the Lord? Do I I have to listen to him? Well, yeah, that that is what Peter is saying. But before throwing up your arms in despair, I want you to notice a very important phrase right at the beginning of verse 3. It's critical to the understanding what's going on here. He says they're in the same way. You see, Peter wasn't bringing up a new topic. He wasn't introducing a new subject that he's going to, oh, I think I'm going to start talking to wives about submitting to their husbands, even if they're difficult. But that phrase, in the same way, says he's making a connection. He's connecting to what he wants to tell wives with what he's already been saying back in chapter 2. So let's go up to chapter 2, verse 12. This is very important to see what Peter's flow of thought is. So when he reaches this passage to wives, you understand what he's been saying. Back in verse 12, Peter says this, "...keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right." For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the talk, or excuse me, the ignorance of foolish men. Notice here at this point the focus, being a good testimony no matter what, and this idea of submitting to authority. Verse 18, he says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there, if when you sin and are treated harshly, you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Again, notice here the emphasis on submission, even under a difficult authority, even one that... Uh, Peter calls unreasonable, which actually means to be perverse or crooked. Then you think about it. Well, why? Why is he telling us to do that? Why is he saying submit to authorities even when they are crooked or perverse or unreasonable? Why is that? Look at verse 21. For you've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to one who judges righteously. See what he's saying? Jesus was the ultimate example of godly submission to authorities, even wicked authorities who spoke lies about him and tortured him. And how did he do that? By entrusting himself To God who judges righteously. So as we approach 1 Peter 3.1, leading up to that, Peter's been focusing on submission to authority, even bad ones. He's been talking about you need to do that even if you suffer for it. He's talked about the importance of our testimony. And then he says in verse 15 of chapter 2, this is the will of God. And in verse 20, this finds favor with God. But why? How can that show God favor? How how is that something that God is pleased with? How can submitting to authority, even a wicked one, be something that's in his will? Verse 21, he says, because it follows the example of my dear son and that my son showed faith in me. And so when you submit to an authority in your life, especially when it's hard or when you suffer for it, you're showing something. You're showing trust in God what does that reflect about God? When I do what God tells me to do, even when it's hard, even when there are outcomes or consequences for it that are difficult, I'm telling the world that God is trustworthy. I'm telling the world He can be trusted and He will ask me to do things that are difficult and hard and even impossible, it seems. Things that are contrary to, to what I want to do or what I feel. And so when you do those things, when you submit yourself to what God has to say, then you're telling them, God can be trusted I don't know where he's taking this, but I trust him. I believe in him. And so Peter, he brings all of this into 1 Peter 3.1 when he says, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. All of that he's been talking about and submitting to authorities, even evil authorities, the importance of your testimony, the following the example of Christ. He's saying all of this, the same thing applies to you women in, in your marriage. And then he's going to do that with husbands in verse 7. And you do this in the same way Jesus did it, by entrusting yourself to a just and a fair and a good God. Some time ago, I came across a story a George Mueller told, or if he knew of a wealthy German man whose wife was a devout believer, but this man was a heavy drinker, and after work he would often go to the bar at nights and stay till late and then come home, and his wife, though, would wait up for him would uh, make him a meal if he was hungry she did it in kindness she did not scold him or complain some nights he got home so drunk that she had to uh, help him get ready for bed she chose to do that Well, one night this man says to his bar buddy "Hey guys i bet if we go to my house my wife's going to be waiting up for me uh, she'll come to the door and if i tell her to she'll make us some dinner so the guys take them up on that, and they show up at the house. And sure enough, she re- re- receives them graciously and, and invites them in. And, and the husband says to make them something to eat. And so she does that, and, and she kindly serves them. And after she was done uh, with the meal and serving them the meal, she went to her room. And that's when one of the men turned to this husband and said, You're a jerk. <laughs> what kind of a man are you to treat this kind of woman like you do? You treat her so miserably. And with that, the man got up and walked out. And then the other guys that were with him did the same thing. They all left in disgust. And you know God used that to bring conviction on that man. He went into the room where his wife was, and he confessed how he had treated her terribly and asked her to pray for him. And she shared the gospel again with him that night. And that night he repented and gave his life to Christ one without a word. And this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a story that's made up. I, I have seen it as well, more than one time, where a woman's testimony and example and patience and kindness in the midst of even a difficult marriage was used by God to reach the heart of her husband, won over by her own example. Ladies, don't don't worry about what might happen if you submit to your husband. And trust yourself To God, As Peter talks about in verse 6, And don't be frightened by any fear. Even if things go bad, do you not think that God will use them for your good in the end? You know, God is always honored, always, when we obey Him. And, fellas, this doesn't give you a pass. In fact, we're going to talk more. We're going to get to some verses that specifically address you guys. But you know what? Instead of giving your wives a homework assignment from today's message, I'm going to give it to you. What I want you to do is this. I want you to go to your wife this week and I want you to ask her, what makes it hard for you to submit to me? What are things that I do that tempt you to not want to follow my authority? And then guys, just listen. Don't talk. Don't say a word even. Just listen. Take notes even would be great. Let your wife express the ways that that she finds it difficult. I've seen most, most women want to follow the authority of their husbands. But we make it very hard on them to do that. So I want you to listen. And guys, after that, I want you to go, if you have a daughter or daughters, I want you to ask them the same question. What makes it hard for you to follow my authority? Because in that moment, you want to teach your daughters the importance of being subject to authority, that, uh, their husbands in a future day. You want to cultivate within them a submissive heart. And you want to make it easier for them too in your home, don't you? Single guys, those of you out there that aren't yet married, are you preparing yourself to be a man who would be easy to follow? Or are you going to be somebody that's going to be a real trial for some poor woman? And guys, what qualities are you looking for in a future wife? Are you looking for someone who is responding well to the authorities in her life? Because how she responds to the authorities in her life is how she's going to treat you if she were your wife. And those of you ladies who are single, I would ask you, how are you cultivating a submissive attitude with your authorities? And if you're still in the home, how are you responding to your parents? What would they say you're characterized by in terms of your submission to them? Because again, how you treat your parents, that's a picture of how you're going to treat your husband someday. And lastly, to the wives that are here, some of you needed to hear this message today because you are struggling with this. You're not being submissive in the way that God has called you to be. And that is a big deal. Titus 2.5 says that you're to be subject to your husband so that the word of God may not be dishonored. If you do feel some conviction, don't, don't stay there. Don't leave here with that guilt and do nothing about it. Confess to the Lord. And then confess to your husband. And just take steps to, to work at it. Depend on God to help you with that. And others of you, I know many of you are trying. You're trying. You're working at this. But your husband or or your flesh or Satan or the world, one or all these things are, are making it so difficult. Make you feel like they're getting the upper hand in your struggle. Your marriage may be very hard. But let me encourage you with a few things. Take that burden to Jesus. Take that to somebody who understands, who cares, and can do something about it. Ask an older woman, an older godly woman for advice. Titus 2 says to do that. Young ladies, go to older women to get their advice. Again, do it respectfully and graciously. But God has brought older women along to come alongside you and to help you with that. And believe me, they've probably gone through a similar experience as you are going through. Pray fervently for your own heart and for your husband. Ask God to... To give you a desire and motivation to do this, no matter your circumstances. And pray for your husband, that he would be the leader God has called him to be. You know, that's such a powerful weapon. Read biblical books on submission and marriage. I'll put a few on the website that you can refer to and look at. And most importantly, really, is to memorize 1 Peter 3, 1-6 and Ephesians five twenty two to 24 And memorize those for the purpose of meditating on them, of thinking about them, of calling them to mind so the Spirit may be working them within your own heart. But above all, remind yourself that in the end, as you are submitting to your husbands, you are serving Jesus. And again, remember, He has given you a great privilege, a high calling to show the world what it looks like to be the bride of Christ. Lord, may you use your word to profoundly affect our marriages, Lord, so that husbands would be leading as you have called them to, that the wives would be coming alongside and helping as you have called them to, that, Lord, our marriages really would be a picture of Jesus and his bride. And Lord, that we would really understand that, that we would be motivated far beyond just Lord, doing something Your Word tells us to do, we we want to obey, but You've given us the reason and You've given us the motivation, Lord, so that we would obey so that Your Son would be lifted up and exalted, so that we would better understand how we can relate to Him. And Lord, I pray for the women in our church. Lord, strengthen them. Encourage them. Lord, You give abundant grace. May You uh, cause them to lean upon it whatever circumstance they are in right now. And I pray, Lord, for the men in this church that we would be humble servant leaders just as Your Son has showed us how to be. Lord, we desire to be a people that honors and blesses You and and to be a, a precious bride in the sight of Your dear Son. It's in His name we pray. Amen.